guys. Welcome back to Switch Podcast. I'm Jake. And I'm also Jake. And today we have a very special episode. Today we have NBA Hall of Famer Rick Barry. Rick, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You know, how's your Sunday going? Well, uh, when you get to be my age, Jake, and you wake up, it's a great day. And before we before we get started, I want to mention it's cool. We had your son Canyon on the podcast a couple years ago, so. Uh, oh, nice! Yeah, I was just with Canyon. and he's uh, he's he's uh, down in Florida right now doing some work, and still playing three x three basketball. And just got the America Cup gold medal. Was the MVP of the tournament about a month or so ago. So that's great that you had him on. He's uh, he's a pretty smart uh, young man with his master's in nuclear engineering. <laughs> that's awesome. So our first question for you, Rick, is what got you interested in basketball? Well, everybody, I believe, uh, well, not everybody, but most everybody is a product of their environment. And so where you are, what you're surrounded by can have a major influence on what you do. My father was a semi-pro player and coach. I had an older brother, Dennis. My brother got interested in basketball when he was nine years old. And so being a big fan of my big brother, I want to do everything my big brother did. So that's when I got interested at five years of age and my father was a strict fundamentalist and taught me the foundation of the game, the fundamentals, which was so critical, I think, for me being able to be the player I became because I tell everybody in life, find something you love, learn as much about it as you can because that's the foundation you're going to put down to build on. And that's the fundamental principles and concepts of whatever you're doing. So I was very fortunate to be taught those by my dad and other coaches along the way. And my brother was helpful too. And so I had that foundation to build on it. And then I was blessed enough by God to have some God-given natural ability and talent. So I was able to maximize my potential. A lot of players playing in the NBA today will never be as good as they should be because they didn't have that fundamental background and foundation to build on. And they're only going to go so high because if you want to go, if you have a small foundation, you go a certain height, the building's going to topple over without a good foundation. So that's how it started for me. And uh, although I was actually a much better baseball player and was an all-state baseball player in high school, but had a bad experience and it just kind of lost my love for the game. It was a little bit too slow for me. And fortunately, um, I put most of my efforts towards basketball and it worked out pretty darn good. So like moving into like college, what was it like playing for Miami? You know, what was that experience like for you? Well, I chose Miami because I wanted to go someplace where they played an up-tempo pro style of game. One of the big advantages I had, everybody talked about it at six, seven and a half, six, eight with my shoes on. I was very, I was not only fast, I was quick. And there's a big difference. Somebody can be quick and not fast. Somebody can be fast and not quick. I was both. And so for somebody my size, they hadn't really seen much of that. And that was a tremendous advantage for me. And Miami played an up-tempo style basketball game. The coach there were, Bruce Hale was the, was a former top player in the, in the, uh, in professional basketball. And we played a pro-style offense, man-to-man defense, push the ball. This is pretty remarkable. And it's 1964-65 NCAA season with no three-point shot. Our University of Miami basketball team averaged 98 points a game. Yeah, we had so many great shooters, and we pushed the ball, and it was so much fun to play that way. And that's one of the big reasons why I also – became as successful as I did in the pros because I had basically four years, even though you couldn't play the varsity as a freshman then, I had four years of playing basketball pro style. 
and learning the game. And so it was a very easy transition for me to go into the NBA. In fact, I tell people it was actually easier for me to play in the NBA. And it was easier to score other than having to outsmart or trick the big guys because they had a lot of big, great players back in those days. It was that I was able to play the game at a level that most players don't learn how to do when they're in college. And so it was easy. In college, the entire defense of the other team, of my last year especially, when I led the league in scoring, I led the NCAA in scoring, every team was trying to go and shut me down. They were trying the best they could. When I went to the pros, one guy was guarding me. I didn't face a box in one. I didn't face a triangle in two. So it was much easier for me. And before we get into our next question, I'm looking at your final year at Miami. You ever 37 and 18. So, I mean, that's got to be some type of crazy stats in college basketball compared to what it is now. So, I mean, the second leading score was averaging like 15 or 18 for your team. Then you had 37. So how is that big differentiate? Was the whole offense sort of ran through you? No, it was just that when we passed the ball and did it, when I got the ball, I was very aggressive. I tried to attack the basket, get to the basket and score points or create opportunities for my teammates. I was not a selfish player. I was told to play the game, taught to play the game the right way. And I would look to try to score, provided I didn't have a teammate in a better position. If I did, he's going to get the basketball from me. In fact, if I could come back and play now, I'd play point guard. They called me the first point forward. I would want to be the point guard because the point guard controls the destiny of the team. I would be a create first score second point guard. That's what I like to see. This thing about the scoring point guard. I mean, I think your first objective, if you're the point guard of a basketball team, is to try to create opportunities for your teammates and, if needed, score. That's why I always loved Steve Nash the way he played. Steve Nash would rather get 20 assists, but if they needed 30 points to win the game, he could go out and get them 30 points and help them do that. That's the mentality I love to see in a point guard. So what was it like getting drafted so high in the 1965 draft going number four? Well, I don't know if it was number four or number two. And it wasn't four, I can tell you that, because that's the only year that they gave the two picks to the last place teams. It was the Knicks in the Western Con- in the Eastern Conference and the Warriors in the Western Conference. They flipped the coin. The winner got first and fourth. The loser got second and third. And the Knicks won the flip, and they took Bill Bradley first. And I still, to this day, don't know 100% sure if the Warriors mentioned my name before they mentioned Fred Hetzel, who was the player from Davidson that was my teammate. But it really was kind of irrelevant because, you know, they had the second and third pick. But the big thing is, is that if they only had one, would they have taken Hetzel or would they have taken me? That's the interesting part of it. So, uh, but it, back then, it wasn't a big deal. Uh, I mean, a lot of players, one of the great players for the Warriors when they moved to San Francisco from Philadelphia didn't even come out because he can make more money in the real world working as a businessman. I was, as the, and let's just say I was the second or third player, one of the top picks in the NBA draft. I was offered $12,500, and I had to make the team. There was no such thing as a guaranteed contract back then. So what was it like, you know, having a very successful rookie year and actually receiving the Rookie of the Year award? I don't worry about individual awards. My big thing is, is I try to play. I play to win. Okay, all of the other things that I've gotten awards for steals and free throws and other things that I've done are irrelevant to me. Um, it's about winning. It, I equate it to having you take the icing, you take the candles, the cherry, all the decorations for a cake and stick them on a plate with no cake. It looks like a big mess almost. So 
I was lucky enough to get the cake in 75 with the Warriors. And then I have a whole lot of other things to adorn my cake with by the different individual awards that I received. But I never played for individual awards. I can honestly tell you, I don't think I ever remember or knew how many points I had in the game. I, I mean, in fact, somebody talked to me about once when I had my 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 career high. I said, "Oh God, did we win that game?" That's all I care. I said, "Well, let's say, did I did we win that game when I got sixty four? I said, "God, if we lost it, I mean, what a waste that would have been." Uh, but fortunately, we did win that game against Portland. But um, yeah, that's what it's a team sport. It's not an individual sport. It's not like golf or tennis where you go out and you play your best and you only have to worry about yourself. I mean, one of the things that meant the most to me is in 1974-75, I was voted to be the captain of the team. It's the first time in my entire basketball career I had ever been chosen to be captain. So I took that as a very meaningful responsibility. And so I now was more, I was responsible for every one of my teammates and myself. And so I took that very seriously and happened to have that year the best year that I ever had playing. So we know you're not huge on the individual award stuff, but being an all-star is very special for a player, not just for playing in the game, but for playing with the best players in the NBA on the same team as you. So what was it like playing 12 of those and then being an MVP of one of the games? Well, back then it really meant something because we actually played a real game. You don't even call it a game anymore. It's not a game. It's an all-star exhibition. I mean, it's a joke. These guys go after now. It's not a joke as far as thing. It's entertainment, Okay. And it really is entertaining. I mean, even some of the passes, some of the things these guys do are just insane. I still remember Steph Curry throwing a bounce pass from almost half court on the left-hand side that bounced up to the basket and Giannis got it and dunked it. I mean, crazy stuff that these guys do. And, and if you watch it and you go to it to be entertained, fine. If you're going through it to see a competitive game and want to see which team could win in a serious game, it's not the all-star game now. It's That's not the place to go. When we played, we were serious. In fact, I think one year when I played, I think the winning team might have gotten $3,000 or $2,000. might have been three and 1500 for the losers. In the first year, $3,000 was, was a fifth of my salary. I mean, now they, these guys get paid more in the all-star game than I made an entire season playing. So it's a totally different world that exists today uh, I wish it were a situation where it was a competitive game. It would be fun to see them really get out there and get after it. But they have so much money invested in the players now that even the owners are reluctant to want to see them go out there and get hurt. That's why they got this load management nonsense, which, you know, I wanted to play. I didn't want to sit and not play. And so it's a whole different perspective. It's a whole different way of approaching things right now. But it would be fun to see them playing a really serious game and take pride in knowing that you were able to beat the best that the other conference had. That's not the case anymore. Now they've changed the rules and guys are picking players and they're mixing them up. And again, let's just say it. it's all-star entertainment Sunday and <laughs> Saturday night. So talking about the 1974 to 75 season, you know, you guys, the Warriors, you know, won it all, which we know meant a lot to you. So, I mean, what was that whole season like? And, you know, and you ended up winning finals MVP as well. So, you know, what was that? Well, the final, again, the finals MVP was icing on the cake, uh, but uh, it was all about winning. And we, we pulled off the greatest upset in history. I think all three major sports has never been a team that's been so poorly thought of at the start of the season and was picked to do absolutely nothing that not only did they get to the finals, but they sweep the team that's supposed to sweep them. There, there is nothing 
nothing comparable to that. I looked up all the different championships in the three major sports. I'm talking about football, baseball, basketball, and you just can't find it. So it was an incredibly rewarding season to be the captain and the leader of that team and to have the kind of season that I had to help our team achieve the success we achieved, but it never would have happened if everybody didn't contribute because that's what it's about. And finally, I'm hoping that in 2023, we're going to have a documentary coming out talking about our team, which is a total travesty that here we are, okay, almost 50 years after we won the championship and no one's ever done any documentary, anything whatsoever about what we accomplished, the greatest upset in the history of major sports. And they've had so many documentaries and stories about other teams that did this or that, nothing comparable to what we did. So I'm, I'm really a little bit, pissed off to be honest with you that nothing's been done to give my teammates the credit that they deserve for epitomizing what the game of basketball is all about a team game where everybody's willing to do whatever is necessary to win and we accomplish that in such a glorious fashion so i'm looking forward to see what they do with this documentary and get it out there so people can actually know the story took place what was your whole inspiration behind one of the most iconic shots in basketball being the granny free throw I didn't worry about it. Once my father taught me how to do it in high school, he's the one that shot that way. And to be honest, I really didn't want to do it because girls shot that way. And I always remember the words he said like they were yesterday. Son, they can't make fun of you if you're making them. And I remember the first game I ever did it in, Scotch Plains, New Jersey. I don't remember from my junior or senior year in high school. I'm shooting free throws later in the game. And a guy from the stands jails out, hey, Barry, you big sissy shooting like that. And I heard the guy right next to him as clear as a bell. What are you making fun of him for? He doesn't miss. And from that point on, I was cool. It didn't matter whatsoever because the object of the game is to put the ball in the basket with the highest efficiency possible. I did that better than anyone had ever done it for a long, long time. In fact, I still think at the end, I was a better free throw shooter than I was at the beginning of my career. In fact, my last six years, I shot over 92%. My last two years, I shot over 94%. And nobody's really matched that. And had I shot that form early when I was shooting 10 or more, I could have put up crazy numbers. And I brag about this only because it's the only part of the game that you can be selfish and help your team. So in your opinion, do you think that the granny free throw works better than the overhand free throw or since you never shot not, it? That's not, it's not just my opinion. This thing has been broken down by physicists. They've all proven it stuff. It's the most efficient, effective way to shoot the ball from the free throw line, and people won't do it. Figure that one out. Makes no sense. So, I mean, uh, what was it like finding out you were going to the National Basketball Hall of Fame? You know, what was that like for you? Well, it's not the National Basketball Hall of Fame. It's actually the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. The NBA doesn't have anything to do with that other than support them. Uh, and people are in the Basketball Hall of Fame who weren't necessarily great NBA basketball players because it's not about the NBA. And so that's why you have a lot of foreign players. You have a lot of players who are unbelievable high school players and college players who made it to the uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, and so that's so people have to understand what it is. It encompasses your entire career, not just your pro game. Um, although in some cases, like Michael Jordan didn't do much in high school because he hardly made his team and he was such an amazing player, but that was college and pros. So that's what you have to understand about the Hall of Fame. I never thought about it. It's obviously a very prestigious award, um, but 
to me, being one of the top 50 NBA players is even more prestigious because of the fact it's the best of the best. So what was it like giving that whole speech with players like Walt Frazier and um, I believe Pete Maravich was that year and the year before he passed. So what was it like standing next to those two when you got inducted? Well, I was happy to be with them. I had great respect for them. I got to know Pete really well. We went on a tour together after we retired to play over in Asia and had a great time. In fact, one of the games there, Phil Jackson was our player coach. And I saw that the, the Taiwanese team was playing <laughs> – was playing a two-one-two zone, and so I said to Phil, "I said, Phil, look at let me play point because I'm a lot taller than those, you know, the, the short guards that they had on the uh, Taiwanese team." And I said, "Look at Pete, I'm going to split the middle. I'm going to split these two guys, just spot up in the slot on either side." And I think in that game, I think I had 18 assists, and 16 of them were to Pete. He just got wide open shot after wide open shot. So it was really fun to get to know him. He was very helpful to my oldest son scooter uh and talking to him and encouraging him before my son when my son went off and got a chance to play at kansas and uh, they were very close and then unfortunately you know a year later or so pete, pete passed away so but that it was it was fun to have you know people that i knew and had played with uh played against uh, to go into the hall in the same the same year although they actually forgot i was not supposed to be that year i was supposed to be the year before somehow some way I guess maybe it's the, you know, the disrespect that our whole team got for winning the championship. They forgot to put my name on the ballot five years after I had retired. So, I mean, throughout your whole career, what would you say your like, favorite memory from your playing career was? Winning the championship. That's what it's all about, you know, without question. That's uh, that's the best thing the Best thing it can be is to, is to win and know that your team, you are part of the best team in your sport. Uh, at that particular time in in the history of the, of the sport, pretty pretty special. What are some of your favorite sports other than basketball? Pickleball now and uh, fly fishing. I just got back from a great fly fishing trip in the Amazon in South America, and caught a whole bunch of big peacock bass. And uh, so I love both of those sports. I I can play golf. I got to be a one handicap golfer, but golf was it's so difficult. It's such a difficult game. But I still play golf, playing a lot of charity events to do that. But my two pack, and I, I really still enjoy riding bikes, even though I had a really bad bicycle accident, was in a wheelchair for three months. I still ride bikes. I just try to be very cautious with it, but I still enjoy doing that. And my wife and I have gone on a bunch of bicycle tours and things of that nature, or cruises where you get off the boat and get a chance to ride your bike around some of the areas around the world, which is pretty interesting. So, but those are those are the main things for me, um, sports wise. And I work out, you know, when I can, trying to keep myself in decent shape. So throughout your whole career, who are some like teammates you really enjoyed playing with? Well, my favorite teammate of all was Clifford Ray, my starting center on our team. We're, we're like brothers. We talk all the time. We fish together. Um, yeah, he's he's a very special individual. And then, you know, love him like like a brother. And, um, and but I had a lot of really great teammates. Nate Thurman was another great one that I stayed in close contact with. And so sorry that he's not with us anymore. And, you know, we've lost so many of my teammates. It's such a shame. In their 40s, Derek Dickey and Phil Smith both passed away at an early age. And every time you turn around, somebody else is, it seems like they're dying. Um, yeah, and I still keep in touch with some of my other teammates. Billy Melchioni, who I played with with the Nets. Uh, I see him all the time. I go stay at his house because when I play, I'm coming up to the U.S. Open Pickleball Championships that I've played in, and I've won some uh, some some medals there. 
Um, so I stay with him and you know, it's, it's good to stay in touch. You get to see Butch Beard and George Johnson and Jamal Wilk and Charles Dudley, the guys that are still around and alive from those days. And it's a very special thing that you have when you're involved in sport. You, when you figure it out in basketball, especially because of the length of the season, you wind up spending more time with your teammates than you do with your family because you're on the road so often and you're at practice and work and stuff. And so it, it becomes a very special relationship. And so it's great when you have wonderful teammates to experience that with. And what are some of your favorite stadiums that you've played in your career? The fans? Well, the fans, well, this, this, you know, New York fans are pretty unbelievable. And Philadelphia fans, they're tough, Northeast, rowdy. Um, but I just, I, I really love playing on the road, to be honest with you. I think I had a pretty good average. I think I was as good or better on the road than I was at home. Um, because to me, you could stay more focused on the game because you didn't have all of the distractions. If you're home and you're married and you've got kids, you got so many things pulling you this way, that way, whatever. When you go on the road, you can just focus on the game and take care of business. And I, I love going on. In fact, I love getting booed. My thing is I tell people, if you're not any good, you're not getting booed. They don't boo bad players. <laughs> so, in fact, actually, I think they kind of cheer for them. So, yeah. So, I, I enjoyed playing in the big cities, obviously. Chicago, Philadelphia, Boston, New York were the big places. Those were really where basketball got its roots and started in the bigger cities and the inner cities, especially. So, uh, yeah, that, that was, those are fun, but it was fun. I mean, I love the fans up in Portland were unbelievably loyal and great. The San Antonio fires were crazy. They had the baseline bums down over there and they had some tough guys. I mean, I remember seeing a fan in, in, in Detroit, man, in Cobo Hall doing something. I know he was packing. I mean, they didn't do, they didn't have the metal detectors and stuff there. And he was sitting down and his jacket slipped open. I saw they had a revolver there, which is kind of which is an interesting story. Um, yeah, so yeah, there was just a, a, a very unique, um, uh, unique fans in every city. I mean, I think like everything else in life, you have your good and you have your bad. So, uh, our final question for you is what is your favorite sports movie? Oh, interesting. I think I've never been asked that before. My favorite sports movie. Wow. Uh, whew. Man, I still remember when I was a kid seeing the football movie Crazy Legs Hirsch. That was pretty fun and interesting. But my favorite sports movie, I'd have to give some serious thought to that because there's so many good movies out there that I enjoy. I enjoy all types of sports movies. Depends on the sport. See, it's, it'd be the same way. I can't maybe pick one because there are so many different sports that they made movies about. Uh, so I'd have to go and say if I were going to do it, I'd want to go down. And I'd have to get my list, you know, for my best basketball movie, my best football movie, the one I like best for baseball, the one I like best for tennis. I mean, there's just so many sports. And so I have to go back and look through that and um, and then come up with a, a winner in each of those categories. And then probably I'd be able to make a decision as to which of those that I would choose number one. So that's not something that if anybody give you that answer at the top of their head, never having been prepared for it, they're lying to you. You can't possibly make that decision without doing in-depth analysis of all the different sports that were there. So and I guess maybe something just pops into your head all the time. Oh, what a great movie, you know, and Field of Dreams maybe for baseball or the Luger. I mean, there's just so many stories. I mean, that's the beauty of, of living where we live, that we have so many things to choose from to be able to do it. We're very fortunate. And I hope people realize how blessed we are and 
and hopefully we something can happen. We can stop this craziness going on, you know, overseas with the war that's going on. With you know, uh, it's just crazy. I, I hate it. There's senseless stuff like that. So, but I'm not going to get into politics, guys, because politics and sports should be kept totally separate. I wish they would do that. I agree. Thank you so so much, Rick, for coming on the podcast. We really really appreciate it. We hope you have a great rest of your day. Wish you good health. Thank you so so much. Thank you. Yeah, well, I appreciate it too. When you don't, when you hang up from the podcast, stop the recording. I want to talk to you.